Well, hello, and yet again, Warfighter are doing something a little bit different. This week, we're covering the NATO Jam, uh, which is over in the Tech Grove in Florida. And with us, we have uh, Robert Secret from Anna Turner Consultancy and Chris McGroty from US Army. So welcome. Welcome, Colin. Hi, Tom. Yeah, hi, guys. We should probably start in the correct way and have you guys just introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about your backgrounds. So Robert Siegfried, I was Adi Turner, as you said, Colin, small consulting company in, uh, down in Munich, Germany. We're supporting the German armed forces in, in a variety of um, efforts uh, across a couple of uh, NATO work. And especially today here, I'm co-chairing the NATO Modeling and Simulation as a Service Working Group together with Chris and uh, happy to, to chat about this with you. Yep. And then Chris McGordy here, um, as you mentioned, U.S. Army, I'm at part of the Combat Capabilities Development Command, specifically under Soldier Center. And I happen to be located in Orlando, Florida, uh, as part of what's called the Simulation and Training Technology Center. So a lot of alphabet soup there, but basically at the four-star level, there's the Army Futures Command. Uh, and one of the big things from the perspective there is really the idea of transforming the Army and pushing towards future readiness. And then as you go down into DEVCOM, probably bumped into some folks uh, here on the U.S. side from a bunch of different areas within DEVCOM. But, you know, at the highest level, this is where we're doing things like the uh, science and technology development, a lot of different types of capabilities. But when you come down to where I am, you know, not only are we looking at things like training and how to better modernize soldier squad performance, but specifically the science and technology behind modeling and simulation, which is how I got linked up here with Robert under the NATO MNS Group uh, 195 MNS as a Service Phase 3. So we covered uh, MSAS a few times once with Robert uh, on a previous episode, and and also I think the, the other penultimate episode where we, we were talking about platforms and things like that. But in this particular challenge, could you just give us an idea of what you're trying to achieve with it? Yes, uh, of course. First of all, I think we need to emphasize that MNS as a service means a lot of things to a lot of people. It's sort of one of these words that, that can have a lot of meanings depending on where you come from and what your specific understanding of this term is. One of the more common explanations is that you can see MNS as a service as an approach to modularize simulation systems to break them down into smaller pieces, services uh, that you can compose on demand and, and as needed very often using cloud-based technologies so that you get a better scalability, adaptability of your systems, uh, reuse, and, and all these other effects. So it's about modularizing systems. On the other hand, MNS as a service is very much connected to, to an ecosystem approach where, because we are using open standards to connect all these services, can bring a lot of players to provide individual bits and pieces, like you go to an app store and, and, and get a lot of a variety of apps, you ideally should go into that MSAS ecosystem and get a variety of services that you can compose for your specific needs. Within this NATO working group, we have tried to define this concept over the last years. We did a lot of experimentation on technology and enabling capabilities to get to this MSAS ecosystem. And we're now at a point in time where MSAS is ready to be used. Actually, it has been used in a couple of exercises already. And there are companies fielding, operationalizing MNS as a service capabilities. But our intention with this MNS as a service challenge that we are organizing together with the UCF's Tech Grove is to reach out to a broader community of interest, to get new players interested in MNS as a service, to learn how, how the local Orlando industry and others around the globe implement MNS as a service solution so that we can also benefit from their experiences. On the other hand, of course, we want to share our view of MSAS and kind of educate the wider supplier base about this new concept. It has sort of a twofold purpose. It's not a one-way street, this challenge. It's both ways. We are trying to educate and we are also trying to learn 
our industry is approaching this uh, new concept. So if you could give us a bit of a flavor of the jam, the challenges that that are in in there, you, you discussed about why it's important. That's that's really helpful to understand the context. But what sort of things are, they, are these people going to be getting up to? So I think the whole concept here of this coalition jam and coming at it from the, the perspective of the whole MSAS idea is that on on purpose, we're, we're really being vague about exactly what we're looking for. The challenge is literally worded as, we're looking for someone to provide a simulation service that is scalable, preferably within a cloud-like environment, uh, agile. In other words, the idea of being adaptable to a, a sim use case that really they can they can define. And then ultimately, from the perspective of whether it's training, experimentation, something along those lines. So we're really using the format that you would usually see in like a game jam type situation where it's over three days. Robert already mentioned the, the Central Florida Tech Grove and the idea of from a geographic perspective, we're on base out of in Orlando, Florida. We've got a bunch of industry. Robert mentioned the University of Central Florida. So you've got you've got the uh, academic side as well. Uh, and then, of course, from the U.S. military perspective, not just the Army, I'm you know obviously down there, but you've got Navy, Marines, Air Force, and so forth. So one of the big hopes is that having that base in the geography uh, will get some turnout and folks that understand Sims maybe have some ideas of how to come at it from a novel perspective. Uh, but it's obviously not just limited to there, too. So we're hoping to have folks that are you know, geographically distributed, participate as well. Is there a limit on how big a team can be? Do you have like recommended skill sets or is it just, you know, you turn up with the team you've got, with the skill sets you've got and to, to give it that kind of best effort over three days? Yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's more the latter one. It's a best effort approach. We recognize it's a short period of time. I mean, we start Friday afternoon and then we'll finish on Sunday afternoon. So we also allow teams to reuse existing tools and software that they have. So they, they have limited information pre-challenge let's say it this way so they they have a big picture what they what we are expecting but the final instructions will be shared on on, on the friday when the challenge really kicks in and um, but they will be allowed to reuse existing pieces so that they don't have to start from scratch with with everything uh, which makes a lot of sense and then we have not yet defined the actual team size i would say the usual team size shouldn't be more than four persons which also makes for four quite efficient teams in this short period of time are you able to say what sort of people are entering this at this point? Do you know? I mean, is it sort of the traditional primes or have you got a mix of people that have never, cut, never met defense before? Well, I would expect teams that have a background in, in defense MNS. I don't expect necessarily the big primes. I think the challenge, the way it's written, uh, we're looking more for those industry players that, that or academic teams that we have not yet reached out to. Many of the larger primes already doing MNS as a service to some degree. I mean, the U.S. Army has its synthetic training environment, which picks up some elements. The Air Force has SCARS, which picks up some elements. So there, there are some programs already that pick up elements of MSAS. So the big primes are to some degree already implementing it. Not everything, but parts and pieces of it. Um, but we're also re really trying to reach out to the um, smaller, let's say it this way, more in innovative industries. You talked about standards as well. I guess some people who don't know this so well would sort of say, well, we've got standards, so what, what is this trying to add to the conversation or the technology? Can you just explain a bit what the team should be doing in stat just standards? We're giving some freedom from the perspective of how things are implemented. So simulation standards, you know, for somebody who's not very familiar with simulation standards, uh, there's something known as the Simulation and Operability Standards Organization, SISO. And then from the perspective of SISO, there's high-level architecture, you know, distributed interactive simulation, DIS, et cetera, et cetera. So over the years, there's been a lot of standards that have been put out. From the perspective of MSAS, 
even though I wholly agree with Robert, you know, I would I would argue we're we're ready for pride time from the perspective of what we've demonstrated in the capabilities. There's some freedom again to how somebody may want to implement. So in other words, you know, we've seen people use emerging standards like WebLBC uh, as a way to to talk, or you could still use HLA or something totally different altogether, especially if they come at it from like say a game engine perspective. I think there's a certain broadness to it. Uh, and that's where some of the innovation is going to come in on how folks choose to implement. Um, I think I think one of our goals within within the MSAS group at NATO is to identify where we may need new standards. And the answer may be we don't whatsoever. And it may just be certain ways to better implement and so forth. So if we're talking about capability, can you sort of identify some of the capability gaps that you'd see this sort of thing or at least attempting to close? Well, I think just in general with MSAS, like Robert mentioned earlier, we've seen from a, a U.S. Army perspective, like the, the example of the synthetic training environment, you know, here, here's an effort that's literally trying to get at the modernization of Army training and trying to build it in a way that isn't just a monolithic application. You know, so here is a STE in a box, you know, and you have to turn on your STE and everything comes together and so forth. Uh, whereas more from the approach of, hey, can I have what, what they call most right, modular open systems approach or, or architecture, depending on what you want to call VA. That comes down to this idea of, for instance, there's a certain aspect of warfare you want to represent, eh, working with coalition partners as an example, right? So how can we expose certain things that we have, you can expose certain things you have, and bring capabilities together uh, and do it in a more novel way without either having to be uh, tightly integrated or from the perspective of how we have done things with say HLA or DIS over the years. There's a lot that goes into the understanding from an object model perspective, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't go away when you talk MSAS, but I think it makes it a lot easier for some other folks to be able to come in and bring a service like, hey, here's cyber warfare. Um, you know, here's my cyber service and I can turn it on and choose to use, you know, yours, Colin, Tom's, Robert's, et cetera. You know, those are things that I think we're trying to be able to better enable with MSAS, especially that ecosystem concept that Robert talks about. Because, you know, it's just a matter of time, one way or the other, I mean, our phones do it, right? You know, one way or the other, we'll get to the point where things are going to be a lot more use as you need, uh, hence the the idea for this jam of cloud implementation, right? You know, I turn it on when I need it, I pay for when I use it, the end, you know, and being able to have that kind of a service as opposed to, again, having to do a big install of a simulation and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're all used to the sort of consume as you want, when you want Netflix come Amazon, whatever it is, you know, exactly. to do to yeah, ha having your own gaming rig. Are there other examples of some some things that exist in the real world that you think the military can leverage? You know, if we say like it needs to be like Netflix, where we just go and train as opposed to having to build something. Sure. I mean, we we've already explored, and I say we broadly because because my hunch is looking across multiple nations, you'll have similar stories. Just looking at the idea of game streaming, you know, and and the fact that there's you know Google obviously. Famously had Stadia, but the technology behind Stadia still exists. Uh, NVIDIA has GeForce now. You know, Microsoft, whether they're calling it xCloud or just calling it part of Game Pass. Amazon has Luna, et cetera. Those are different approaches to literally, like that Netflix example, stream the, you know, the pixels to your computer, take the inputs, et cetera, and not have to have the install. Obviously, something like an MSAS approach would be on the back end and it would be transparent to the user. It would be more of a, hey, here's the thing I'm trying to, whether it's train and experiment, whatever. You know, as I have certain dials and what have I selected, that's where it now becomes, hey, do you want this? Well, you know, you need a certain representation, requires certain compute, et cetera, and here's where you can get it and here, here's what it would cost. I think that's where we're looking to evolve. So kind of hit you with two things at once there, but point being game streaming, which you could just as easily call simulation streaming, right? I'd argue the technologies there, uh, a lot of it just becomes both reliance on the network as well as just certain, you know, information assurance concerns and other stuff when you actually start to talk, no kidding, military applications. 
And again, on the back end, I would argue, you know, the MSAS approach really helps with being able to add those additional piece parts you'll want, for, especially for others. Hopefully it's going to make it easy. So different companies or, you know, literally somebody from like a small company, like what we're looking for here in the jam or a big company, like you were talking about out of the gate about the idea of primes. Hopefully this makes it a lot easier for, for everybody to play, so to speak. The technology and, and the um, the underlying infrastructure pieces and everything that and, and standards that, that Chris talked to, that's all great. And, and a lot of stuff is already there. I, I think we should not underestimate that MNS as a service is not only a new way to federate systems. It's a lot about that ecosystem and that comes with a new approach to governance and, and business models. So how do we govern our simulation environments? How do we pay for it? I mean, we do have a lot of nations in these working groups that execute specific exercises or trainings, let's say every two years. And uh, why should I buy stuff which is expensive and, and sitting around in a shelf gathering dust if I use it every two years? And I also need the experts to run it. I need the hardware and everything. I need to be able to put data in it. Wouldn't it just be a lot smarter to, to kind of pay as you go and say, yep, I, I need it for these two weeks of exercise plus a couple of weeks of integration testing and then preparation. Let's say I just rent it for that period of time. I, I kind of free up resources that I use that I can use better otherwise instead of having people set up everything and then feeding in data and whatnot to make it work. I think we should not underestimate that ecosystem aspect uh, that comes with changes to governance and, and business models. Also for industry, I mean, it's not only on the government side, it's also an industry. How do we charge for our solutions? I mean, it's also sort of a, a change in industry to say, yep, you're not going to sell the big systems anymore. You'll get paid by the hour per exercise, per, per day, whatever uh, unit we can find. But that will also change. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole range of things to unpack here, which I think we might leave to the second half. But just to clarify, so, so NATO here is sort of acting to signpost some of these technologies and say, look, this is this is more real as opposed to come to the NATO shop and we'll build it for you. Is that correct? So MNS as a service has three big, big stakeholders. I mean, obviously, it's industry providing solutions. And we have the MODs, which are... Um, on the acquiring end, which have to procure the systems and, and provide, for example, training systems to their users. And and then we have, uh, I would argue, as a third element, the NATO modeling and simulation group that is trying to define MNS as a service, sort of providing boundaries left and right so to make sure all the different stakeholders know what we talk about, creating common understanding uh, between the various stakeholders. And again, we, we need all of them. I mean, we are not going to produce the solutions, but we can work on the standards. We can, can sort out the concept so that all the other stakeholders know uh, where they kind of fit in into this overall ecosystem. Uh, so, so everybody has, has to play his role in, in this game. Uh, very interesting. And I was having a discussion last week with someone who, you know, again, it was along the lines of, do you realize this technology is actually there? It can be used as opposed to, you know, doesn't it? You know, sometimes I just don't know it, it exists and it's accessible. You just got to find the right, you know, the right people. And interesting, I think there's a whole other discussion about the current procurement system and the way it tries to buy this stuff. And maybe if you can truly harness the service aspect, then you get over the you know, the seven-year procurement cycle, which is, seems to be what the problem is. That's a, that's a really good point, Colin, actually. So it looks like we're coming towards the end of this, but I wanted to kind of put more context. I realized we hadn't done this. This is a two-part episode. We've got part one being recorded before the event. So this is a, this chat with you know, yourself and Chris, uh, Robert. Uh, which is great and uh, setting the foundations and i've got a question about that as well but the second part of this is going to be talking to people who have attended the event potentially hopefully getting to speak for the winners and uh, understanding what they actually did build and, and what was what the value was kind of brought out of this but how are these teams going to be assessed do you have have you have you already written the kind of the scorecard or what's what are the things they need to kind of focus on 
Yes. So there are scorecards, there are certain criteria that we would like to see. So I think the key point here to realize is at the end of the day, Sunday afternoon, when the challenge finishes, each of the teams has to demonstrate a running solution. That's a key point of all these jam events. And that's the same here. So we want to see a running solution. And then there are certain criteria that we have broadly defined already. I mean, the details are still secret, but overall, we want to see some of the key MSAS characteristics being demonstrated in these solutions, like on-demand availability, scalability, running up more instances uh, if, if, if the load requires, and so on and so forth. So that's also what we have already communicated to the teams, that these are sort of key characteristics that we would like to see. And then, of course, the better you can demonstrate, the more you can demonstrate that your solution kind of satisfies these key MSAS ideas, the more points you will get for your team. I've just seen there's a $5,000 uh, reward for, for the winning team. So, Colin, I'm off to Florida. Yeah, very good. Just uh, don't forget to register. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm on the hook. Uh, I can't wait to hit, speak to some of the people that have done it and see what they're delivering. I guess for our listeners, it'll be a pregnant pause and they can hear more. Thanks for your time, Robert and Chris. Thanks for having us. So welcome back all. Of course, our listeners through the magic of time travel won't <laughs> notice there was a gap, but for us, it's been two weeks. And in that time, the MSAS challenge has occurred over a, a long weekend, was it, of hard work, Robert? Hey, Colin. Yeah, absolutely. It was a long weekend. We started Friday afternoon and then finished Sunday evening. We would do other things, but you were all slaving away <laughs> under a hot keyboard. And uh, we have joined with us the winner of the challenge as well, Jordan. Jordan, would you, as in keeping with this episode, would you mind introducing yourself and your company and where you're from? Sure. So my name is Jordan Dobble. I'm the owner of a company called Simblocks.io. We're a software startup located in Central Florida. Uh, and we focus on helping our customers migrate from older simulation technologies towards game engine-based 3D visualizations. So we have a lot of experience uh, supporting our customers taking existing 3D content, so existing 3D models, synthetic terrains, and bringing those into game engines like Unity and Unreal. Um, so we have several tools to help them with that. We also focus on communication interoperability, which is supporting standards that are produced by the Simulation Interoperability Standards Organization. And that's that's where I met Chris and, and Robert over uh, several years ago. And we focus on uh, enhancing the capabilities of 3D game engines um, and other aspects that are that are useful to our customers, such as large world rendering and, and other types of uh, interactive experiences. Perfect. So I think, first of all, we'll probably you know, come back to you, Robert. So how did the event run? How was it? What was it like to be there? Actually, it was a great event. I mean, it was the inaugural iteration. First time we did it. So it was sort of new ground for everybody. We were all excited to see what's happening, if teams sign up at all. And so at the end of the day, we had four teams participating in person in Orlando, like like Jordan, and also remotely. They all worked on fabulous topics, a very diverse range of ideas that they came up with. So it was a lot of work, but it was it was a great event. So I, I'm picturing teams not sleeping, just cans of Red Bulls strewn over the place, pizza boxes. Uh, kind of is that accurate, or was it far more professional than than that? <laughs> oh, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Perfect. I like that. And Jordan, we are going to come to you, but I, but I really want to finish off the picture. So before we jump into kind of the the, the submissions and what what kind of projects people worked on, Chris, did it go to plan? And what were your reflections on the event as a whole? Well, to echo Robert, 
one of the concerns was, and heck, we had already recorded the first half of this with you all, uh, was where are we going to have signups? Because you, you just never know. And in fact, we had a lot of people, especially the kickoff, attend who then said, yeah, we're really interested. We just can't do it this weekend. But they decided to come anyway and listen to our kickoff presentation, which is great from a, a, a marketing perspective. But obviously, you know, from the actually let's initiate and let's get some work done. Uh, there was some nervousness. So I think from that perspective, it exceeded expectations given we had never attempted to do a game jam style event like this. So the fact that we not only have participants and as, as you described the joke about the pizza and the Mountain Dew, I mean, that's kind of how game jams work, right? And teams worked really hard for 48 hours and, you know, put together some really good work and it's hopefully created a template for the future. You mentioned on the previous recording back in time that there was more information you weren't allowed to give us about the, pro the, the competition. So when the teams arrived, can you kind of give us the information you gave them and, and the kind of left and right of arc for the projects? Absolutely. So the whole idea of the um, MSAS challenge was, was to get industry more more acquainted to the idea of MNS as a service. Uh, so obviously we gave some 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 background information on, on what NATO in specific uh, is doing in this arena. And the challenge actually that, that they had to work on was to provide an MNS as a service element, a piece of it, a service they could actually take existing software that they have and, and transform it into a service that is sort of compliant with our ideas uh, of MNS as a service. So that was the, the whole intention that they create a an MNS service that is uh, suitable for a specific application, ideally scalable in, in a cloud-based fashion, and also agile in that it can be adopted to, to new simulation environments, for example, where you can uh, plug and place a service into. Perfect. And conscious we are going to come to the winner of the competition, Jordan, in a second. Just hold your horses. However, can you give us an overview of the other teams who was involved and the kind of projects that they were working on during that 48-hour period? It was a range of topics, as I said before. So we had uh, teams working on um, a training environment as a service, specifically, um, well, it was originally designed, I would say, for project management, but then they, they sort of had the idea to branch out into other uh, application domains. We had a great submission in terms of a, a deployment tool. Think of a graphical user interface where you can kind of compose services, containers, virtual machines, and kind of run them up as, as a consolidated simulation environment. And there was also great submission in, in terms of uh, information security uh, using open standards like, like PGP to secure some elements of our um, synthetic environments, introducing ideas from, from zero trust and, and others, other um, uh, current approaches. So it was great to see the variety of, of topics uh, that came out of this MSAS challenge. Okay. Well, I'm looking at Chris and Robert here, but I think, you know, shall we introduce the, the winners of this year's competition? Absolutely. I mean, the winner uh, was a team Topography Troopers, which was composed of Jordan and the Simblox team and also a, a colleague from ARA. And, uh, I think the great thing about this team is that they kind of found themselves on the Friday afternoon after the kickoff and um, decided to work together. So I think that was also one of the um, really nice side effects of this uh, MSOS challenge. That's really interesting. So Jordan, welcome to uh, the Warfighter podcast. Thanks. Uh, it's great to be here. And congratulations. So is that right? So you, the competition kicked off. You hadn't yet kind of founded the, the core team that you wanted to start the, the competition with. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing about these game jam events is uh, you know particularly a, a new one like this is you don't know what to expect. So we were like, okay, let's show up, let's uh, let's see who's there, let's see what types of problems they want to solve. We were thinking about doing something with geospatial terrains because that's what uh, we focus on a lot at, at SimBlocks. 
but we were kind of asking around to see, okay, what has been done in this area? Would this be interesting to this group? And who would want to help build it? And, um, you know, it just happened that John from ARA came up to us and asked to join our team. And ARA is also highly specialized in terrain processing. So it was a great fit. Wonderful. And, and just taking one step back, what inspired you to bring your team? Are you based in Orlando or, or what inspired you to join the competition? You know, Orlando is really a giant hub of modeling and simulation. We're, uh, at SimBlocks, we're located in Orlando. And so this event was held just down the street from us at the Central Florida Tech Grove. So this is a facility that's really designed about bringing different communities together, right? So as a small business at SimBlocks, we really want to help build relationships with other people in the community. And this was a great opportunity to do that. And so the competition kicked off. You founded your team. Can you give me kind of how, how many people were in your team, what the, what the skill sets were like? Yeah, so our team consisted of three people. So myself, uh, another one of our junior software developers, and then John Mayere, who I believe had just started at ARA like two months ago. So, you know, even though at SimBlocks, we have quite a bit of experience in things that we do, this competition was focused on something that we really don't have a lot of experience with, which is cloud computing. So the challenge uh, was a good fit because they were asking us to take something that we knew how to do and then migrate it to the cloud and talk about, you know, the struggles that we went through doing that. So there was another another competitor, I think they were called Darkstacks. You know, they had a lot of really good existing technology that would be useful for modeling and simulation as a service. But the question is really how much can you do that's new over this weekend? So we, we took uh, an approach of taking an ex existing tool that we have that converts a particular type of 3D model content into an asset format that works directly in the Unity game engine. So this was an offline tool that, that we built at SimBlocks. And then over the weekend, we figured out how to get that working as a cloud service. Brilliant. In terms of kind of working hours, was it was it a grind or did you manage to, yeah, did you manage to get it done within the kind of appropriate working hours? Yeah, we did complete our objectives, but let's just say it was not simple. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't just work immediately. Uh, there were there were lots of roadblocks, you know, different methods we were trying. And, you know, when you're working with a new tool chain, you run into issues that you've just never seen before. You're not really sure how to how to get around it. So there was a, a lot of that. But through, you know, a lot of persistence and creativity, we, we were able to get it to work. And coming back to you, Robert and Chris, Jordan's team submitted their final working prototype. And what was the process? Did you have, like I said, did you put together that scorecard and what was on that and how did they do? Yeah, no, we, we definitely, we had a scorecard. We had the whole, from the perspective of criteria, uh, we had multiple judges and going down through it, you know, there were things that we were specifically looking at, both from the technical approach, as well as, you know, one of the big questions I asked everybody was, well, how much did you really do this weekend versus how much did you show up with a solution? Uh, and, and, you know, credit to the, the topography troopers that obviously they not only self-formed after the kickoff, but, you know, from the perspective of what they put together, you know, again, this wasn't a canned solution. This was this was some risk, and it obviously paid off for them. But I think that stood out to us as judges. Robert, anything you want to add to that? Uh, that was pretty complete, Chris. We had a series of um, uh, metrics that we were looking at, and we had a team of judges. And um, well, I, I think I can so much I can say so much that that the the winning team sco scored first on on all scorecards. So it was a pretty unanimous uh, vote, and it was a uh, was a clear winner at this time. I've got a couple of questions just around that. Probably to, again, Robert and Chris, of the teams, was there sort of a drive to get people from who outside of defense? Is that something that you saw? Did you see people that never come across MSAS and wanted to give it a try? 
Well, all participants have experience or, or come from the defense domain. Not all, like, like Jordan said, have experience with cloud technologies. Uh, so I think that was uh, kind of new for the teams involved, providing their solutions as a service or in a, in a cloud-based session. And so that was really the challenge here for the teams that participated. In terms of outreach, I think that is one of our lessons learned for the next iteration that we want to encourage more industry, more, more teams to participate. And whether they are from the defense domain, trying to kind of transform existing products into an MSAS-like product, or whether they come from a different domain and then can adapt some of their technologies for our purposes. Yeah, to echo Robert, I think in general, maybe there is one team that you know, had, had of course been exposed to defense, but that wasn't their specialty per se, but in general, wholly agree. And I think, I think one of the things, no knock on bringing in the folks that happen to have expertise in defense, but, you know, picture what ended up happening with Jordan and crew, how they came together would have been really neat if we had a few folks who weren't DOD knowledgeable, who came in with certain experience and said, Hey, I need a partner, you know, uh, it would have been neat to watch some of that. And that's something I'd love to see in the future where you get that cross pollination of technical knowledge to go along with the domain knowledge and things that Jordan and companies like Simblocks have, have already pulled off coming into an event like this. It sounds like there's room for outreach and trying to get more different people involved to see what they come up with. What do you think you'll do next time you run one of these? Do you think you'll change the format or ask for a bigger challenge? I would say there was a lot of appetite to kind of run a challenge like this again next year. And, and indeed, the plannings uh, have, have just started. I think one of the major benefits that, that we will have for, for next year's iteration is that we'll have a lot more preparation time and that we know a lot better what to expect and then how to organize these events. And this is really the, the, the biggest benefit that we can start advertising the 2024 event way earlier than we could this event. And that should help uh, to get more teams participating. And, and we also had a really good discussion on how we can include more uh, international participation so um, there are a lot of ideas floating around, but uh, I would expect that at least by its sake this year, we will have a really good plan and, and are ready to fully announce uh, the 2024 challenge. It's just really exciting. And it's so nice to see, it's great to see you, know, you two, both you guys, I know there's more people in the background as well working on this, but doing something different, trying to push things forward in, a, in an unconventional way, because that's exactly what you know, on the Warfire podcast is, is what we keep coming back to is, is let's not try and just, let's do things differently, let's iterate, let's innovate. So Oh, I've just used the innovation word, but uh, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say, and so it's great to to see that. So, and not only Jordan, have you and your team won, which I think is massive kudos to you. There's a cash prize. Have you thought about how you're going to treat the team? Uh, yes, there there is a cash prize, um, which is you know very very helpful, and you know we appreciate you know Robert and Chris putting this this event together along with other members of the NATO MSAS group. Yeah, we haven't decided what we're going to do uh, with those funds, but we're going to take it as far as we can. So, <laughs> yeah, Perfect. Well, I look forward to, to hearing more about that. Right. I think we are absolutely at the end of this episode. Uh, it's been fascinating and I genuinely can't wait to see what happens next year and, and, and watch this grow. Is there anything else anyone else would like to add before we close this off? I just wanted to throw in the the just really the piece of how events like this Coalition Jam and, you know, hopefully the one we do in 2024 and some of the other outreach, et cetera, you know, building into this idea of putting together an ecosystem and being able to get to services through the whole construct of modeling and simulation as a service. I really think this is a good first step to pull together that mix of both helping educate industry on here's what we're talking about from a NATO perspective, but also events like this also help them 
educate us about expectations and things that they could do better. And especially folks that may not be ready to play in an ecosystem environment, being able to get exposed to it. I think that's been one of the nice outcomes we've gotten from this. And I'm really hoping over the next year plus, we, we get to build it a little further. Great. Colin, is that anything else from you? No, that's all great. Thanks. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for this final uh, kind of special bonus episode of the Warfighter podcast before we move on to season two. See you guys in a few weeks. Bye.